new. We want to continue to have that discussion today. Last week, we introduced you to the transformational power through restoration, God's work in us as he restores us. And it was a, it's a stirring passage about uh, Simon Peter and how God was bringing him to restoration and commissioning him on uh, his call to make a real impact and journey in the world. I, I want to continue that thought today a little bit further and talk about the power of one, one who is empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that great effective work in the call of Christ. I'm reminded of a book that I read a long time ago by Neil Anderson, and in that he had an illustration called Running the Gauntlet of Evil. It's pretty easy to get into your mind the illustration that Anderson writes, so let me see if I can paint the picture for you with words. Imagine you're standing at a road, and on the road you see buildings on both sides of the road. It's maybe one of those up in the Jersey area where uh, the streets are a little bit tight, the buildings are a couple of stories tall, maybe there's apartments on both sides, the right and the left of the road. And at the end of the road, you find Jesus Christ. And your journey is to make it down that road to Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that, that we are to keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. So what he has begun, and begun this work in us of salvation, we're moving towards him in our walk of salvation because he's going to complete that work. I, I'm not yet complete, and that's good news because I am not where I should be. I'm not yet complete. My spirit is made right with Christ. In fact, God declares me by his son to be righteous before him because of the saving work of Christ. In Christ Jesus, this is the accomplishment of the cross. He takes away our sins and he credits us with righteousness. My faith is there. How about yours? Yeah, and in that you are declared to be right before God. But I'm not yet complete because the body that I was born with still has sin dwelling in it. And that still gives me tendency and urges and desires that are not like God. Now, the spirit in me wants to champion over those things. And the older I get, the more I find him doing that. I'm grateful for that. And as I look back, I say, well, at least I'm not where I was. But as I'm looking present, I'm saying, but yet, God, I'm not where I want to be. This is a journey. And so the journey is like this gauntlet. It's a move towards Christ in the end when we will be like him, for we'll see him and we'll be made like him in body as we are in spirit. That day's coming. So this is our journey of faith. Now, imagine you're back on this journey and you're moving towards Christ. There is nothing that, can empower, that comes against you with power that can stop you from that journey. This is part of the great grace of God, that what he begins in us, he is faithful to complete it to the end. And that means nothing is going to stop us, nothing is going to hinder us, nothing is going to stand in our way, there is no power that comes against us that can detour us. When you're on this journey of faith, God has put you there and the power of Christ has made it so that you can complete the journey in him. He is making it so that will happen. No power or weapon can be formed against you that will prosper. This is the work of Christ in us. But as you're moving you find these influencers who are calling out of the windows, calling out to you. They're, they're sort of like hecklers, telling you to, uh, you don't need to journey so fast, so hard, uh, that you ought to look their way, you ought to be entertained by what they have. Uh, hey, come check this out, I've got something for you, something you really want, Randy, and if you're not careful, you'll come off the journey 
in your walk towards Christ and you'll move towards one of those distractions and before you know it, you have impeded your very journey that you've longed to have with Christ. So he calls this the, the gauntlet of evil, the influences and the influencers that are attempting to thwart our journey with Jesus Christ. They have no power, they have no authority to block your way, but yet they call out to you to slow or to impede your progress, distracting you. Simon Peter was in pursuit of Jesus Christ. We talked about that last week. His pursuit with Christ, he, he had made real strides at walking with Christ. He had made real efforts and real sacrifices in order to be with Christ. And his thoughts and his focus and his intent was to be on journey with Christ as a disciple of Christ. That means he's going to be a learner of Jesus Christ. He considers him to be the rabbi, and he considers himself to be the student, and he has pledged to live his life with Christ so that he might learn the ways of Christ. There's no doubt about it. Simon's focus was on Jesus. But along the way, Jesus warns him that there is going to be some issue, some influence that is going to come into his life that's going to try to distract him. doesn't have the power to do it, but he will yield to it. Now, Peter's pretty brash about this. And he says, now look, Lord, though they fall away, because of you, I will never fall away. Even if I must die with you, I will not, not deny you. And yet all the disciples said the same thing. So all these guys are journeying with Christ, and they have real intentionality of doing so. I think that's what resonated so well with us last week, that we all can relate to that. I don't know there's anybody in this room who doesn't say, man, I'm pursuing Christ. I want to finish with him. It's obvious that that's your heart because you're here. <laughs> it's beautiful outside. Today is going to be one of those stellar days that you'll want to be outside, but yet you're inside. And you're here among the people of God, hearing the word of God, because it is in your heart to walk this journey. You and I can relate well with Simon Peter and others who have genuine testimonies of pursuing Christ in a journey of faith. That's us. Now, we might have it at varying degrees among us in this room, but I think all of us have a general tendency towards this journey of faith. But maybe you've struggled over time. Maybe you're struggling now. Maybe you're having a hard time remaining steadfast. Maybe your eyes have come off the author and the finisher of your faith, and you've been distracted by the hecklers. Or you've been distracted by the influencers. Or you've been distracted by the influence of the world. Maybe, maybe you've slowed in your progress. Maybe you have, have backed down. Or maybe you're like Simon Peter who, who probably had heard the words like, Hey, over here, look over here. You can be a great leader. You can be the greater among these guys. Maybe you've heard things like that. Maybe you've heard the naysayers who are saying to you, I've got something for you, something better than that. That's a journey that will cost you. I've got a journey that's much easier. Maybe you've heard that. Or maybe you've heard like Simon Peter who, who heard a different uh, challenge at times. Uh, you don't have to risk everything in order to be with Jesus. I really think that's what Simon was listening to in the end. You don't have to risk it all. You can have some of Jesus and have some of your former life which is the reason why I believe he was trailing back to play it safe because 
That's what he knew. He was distracted in that way. Maybe your, your voice is not a tempter's influence that you're hearing. Maybe it's a voice of discouragement that echoes in your mind. Who do you think you are? Maybe it's a, a spiritual questioning. Uh, you don't really believe that God thinks that kind of stuff about you, do you? You don't really think that God loves you like he's talking about God loving you. Maybe that's what you hear or words like this. You'll really never amount to anything. Is that what you hear? Or maybe you're hearing that you're always going to be second rate, that you're never going to be at the level of Christianity that you have longed to be. Just give it up. Maybe it's the voice of discouragement that calls out to you. On and on and on, the accusations seem to fly on this gauntlet of evil as we're moving through the world towards Christ Jesus. The purpose of those words are to slow you or to thwart your journey with Christ so that you will not have an impact on this world. God has given you the kingdom of heaven, and he wants you to use that kingdom of heaven with great influence in the world. And every heckle, every influence, every influencer against God that you're hearing in your life is to meant to slow that, to stop that, to thwart that, to keep you from accomplishing that. So although certain that he would remain loyal and committed to Jesus, Simon Peter actually was distracted. He was distracted by voices, and those voices can be different than what you're thinking. If you're thinking about some evil figure that's going to be easily identifiable, you need to go back to Simon's story, because the voice of distraction for him first came in a girl who questioned whether he was with Jesus or not. And the second voice came from another girl who pointed him out as to be a follower of Jesus. And the third voice was that of a group of bystanders who were just trying to get warm around a fire. You may not be able to recognize the voice, but you'll recognize it by its intent. Is it drawing you near to your journey in Christ? Is it drawing you near to the impact that God wants you to have in this world? Is a voice holding you back? Is it fear that's calling out to you? Is it distraction that's calling out to you? Is it worldliness that calls out to you? Is it discouragement that calls out to you? What is that voice? The spiritual attack of accusation began in Peter's mind. You're no disciple. You're just a fisherman. Nobody's fooled by you. I really think most of the time the voice doesn't come except in first person. It comes like this. I'm no disciple. I'm just a fisherman. Who am I fooling? Now that's the voice of the enemy. And Simon was hearing it. And he pressed to listen to it. And he walked away from this journey with Christ to make a real impact in the world. Accusations are the weapon of the enemy, and I think it's one of his most favored choice of weapons. And he uses that against us many times. And can I just remind us, the reason why he uses that effective weapon is because it's effective. He's very good at what he does. However, Jesus is greater than him, for greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The voice of Jesus is greater. It's a conquering voice. The power of Christ is a conquering power. 
And he has given that to us. In fact, Jesus wants us to have not just his victory, but he wants us to walk in that victory. And so when the accuser comes against us, Jesus is there to give us victory over that. I want to remind you of a verse that's in the Bible. It's powerful. In fact, uh, I didn't give you notes today in your handout. Some of you are really, really bothered by that. I can see it on your face right now. There's this old-fashioned thing called a pen and piece of paper. Just write that down, whatever God speaks to you. Uh, actually, this was one of those weeks. I'll just be very blunt, honest with you. This is one of those weeks I just really struggled. I was struggling physically. I was struggling spiritually. I was struggling emotionally and just had to press through to get things accomplished. You ever had those weeks? Yeah, do those weeks not often come when you have a high point spiritually? Yeah, sure they do. And that's exactly what the enemy was doing. And I knew that was the enemy's attack. I'm grateful for God's victory that he gives us in Christ Jesus. But you just kind of have to make some choices along the way. And the choice this week was, you ain't getting notes today. <laughs> but look at this verse, and you might want to write it down. Let me see if I can, uh, let's see if I can get it on my screen right here. I want to show you a couple of things. Uh, in this verse, Jesus gives us some powerful tools by which he is the answer. He's the one that makes this possible. He's the one that makes this doable. If anyone does sin, now let me just pause to say, let's go to 1 John chapter 1. Uh, this is where our D group has been over the last couple of days. So this passage has been pretty mindful uh, in us. It's one of those sections that God just really uses and speaks powerfully in us. He says in chapter 1 of 1 John, verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So the fact is, you and I wrestle with sin, don't we? And so here he's saying, if anyone does sin, which he's already said, you do. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Now let's think through this word advocate. The it's not a good representation, but the closest thing that you and I have for an advocate is a defense attorney. He, he has a fiduciary responsibility, or she does, has a fiduciary responsibility to you. And, and she or he is going to be your advocate. They walk in there in the courtroom, and if everybody else is against you, that person is for you. Now, you're paying them big bucks to do that, but at any rate, they are the advocate. That's a close representation. It's not perfect because Jesus doesn't do it by pay. Jesus does it out of love. Jesus does it out of glory. Jesus does it because he can take someone who is absolutely guilty like you and I are and take away that guilt and put in our righteousness. And God not only says pardon, but he says it's as if it never happened. So that's our advocate. So Jesus is the advocate with the Father. So you see him right there side by side with the Father. Somebody is making accusation against us, and Jesus is the one who steps forward for us as our advocate. Now what happens here, he does this with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So everything is based on that. When you're thinking, okay, yeah, maybe I deserve this, I know that. But the righteousness of Christ has been credited to us who are saved by faith. That means everything about us is declared to be right by him. That's what he's done. He's taken away our sin and given to us his righteousness. So Jesus Christ is the advocate with the Father. He is righteousness. He is the propitiation. 
Now, that's one of those terms that we just don't use in the world today, but man, is it power-packed. Let me just unpack it for a moment for you. Propitiation is God is completely satisfied with what Jesus has accomplished with the payment of sin on the cross. All right, so God is a just God. And every just judge requires that payment of lawlessness must be paid for. You can't just say, oh, I kind of like him. I think I'll give him a pass. But I don't really like him. I think I'll stick it to him. That's not just. God is just, and he says, where sin has fallen, sin must be paid for. Where the law is broken, the law has to be paid for. So without a question, every one of us who have sinned must pay for that guilt. We have to bear the consequences of our sinfulness. But Jesus, who is righteous, stepped forward and said to the Father, by the will of the Father, I will pay the debt for every sinner. I will pay and take on their sin on my righteous body, and the Father will pour out that justice on his Son, which is what was happening on the cross. The Father pours out justice on His Son, and in the end, when Jesus says, it is finished, He does so because He is saying, God is now satisfied. That's propitiation. God is completely satisfied. So Jesus, the advocate, the righteous one, is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sin. And not for ours only, but for the whole world. In other words, everybody in the world has opportunity to experience this propitiation of Jesus Christ. That God could be satisfied, that their debt of sin could be paid for, and the righteousness of Christ could be given to them. That's our advocate. Now, isn't that glorious? Anybody got a hallelujah in you this morning? Because that's the good news of the gospel. Maybe you're here today, and you have never understood that to be the case. That's what God has you here for. That you would come to that conclusion. That it's not about you getting your life right. You, you can't clean up your life enough. If you could clean up your life and from here forth never sin again, how will you pay for the sins you've already committed? So the gospel says Jesus Christ will. And he's the only one who can. He's the only one who is right before God, who can take your sin upon himself. So maybe you've come into this place today and you've been thinking about church or maybe been thinking about getting your life right. Could I just save you a lot of frustration and a lot of headache and a lot of confusion? Why don't you surrender your life to Jesus right now? Why don't you come to conclusion that if you could have gotten your life straight and right, you would have already done so? Why don't you just come to conclusion that I can't do this? But I trust that God can. And I trust that He sent His Son to be able to do that. And I trust that He has. And from henceforth, I give my life to him. I pledge my life to him. I, I give him and ask him to wipe every sin out of my life and to give me the credit of Jesus from here on out. And if he does that, which he promises he will, you're pledging from this day forward, you will yield your life to him. I'll live my life for him for the rest of my days. Now in that, Jesus will be your advocate. So last Sunday, the Spirit of God allowed us to get into the dialogue it was an intimate dialogue between Peter and Jesus remember Simon was a beloved friend of Jesus he was a great follower of Christ but he struggled didn't he he struggled with failures he struggled with denials of Christ 
So sitting on that Galilean seashore, eating some breakfast with Peter and a few other disciples, Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to reclaim what had already been given to him, to reclaim this great ministry call, to reclaim this life of significance, of, of being a leader within the church, of committing loyalty to Christ Jesus. And what Jesus was doing at that moment was resetting his vision because Peter had been setting his vision on his failures, had been reliving those moments over and over. And what Jesus is doing is dealing with the sin and resetting Peter's vision to the future. And the future was a, a great hope. The future was a, a great impact on the world. I really believe that many in this room wholeheartedly believe that God has called them to make a great impact in the world. I, I, I trust that for every one of you. That God has a call in your life. God has purposed your life to be unique. God has crafted you uniquely. He's made it so that you can accomplish great things for His glory and make great impact in this world. I believe that with all certainty. I promise you before God, I don't discount a single one of you. Now, some of you are going to do it a little strangely. But so do I. Some of you are going to do it a little quirky. Well, so do I. That's the uniqueness of God. In other words, you're not going to do it like I do it. You're going to do it like you do it because that's the way God made you to be. God has given you this call to make a great impact in the world. This call of God in Peter's life was evident from the very start of his conversations with Peter. And we, we kind of lose this thinking that, oh, Peter really showed himself to be a great man of faith and God testified to that by calling him from there, there on out the rock. No, that was early in the conversation. That was in the beginning days. When Peter had not yet become a solid, faithful follower of Jesus Christ. That was in the days that Jesus was speaking into him. Not where Peter was speaking to Jesus. And Peter is called Peter because it means rock. Jesus was helping him to discover that he was going to be solid as a rock, strong in his faith, but there was a journey that was going to take place in order to develop that. Every time that Peter heard this new name that Jesus gave him, we'll call it a nickname, every time he heard Jesus call him the rock, it was a reminder that he was bringing transformation power to him, that he was changing him, he was shaping him. It was a reminder that Jesus was doing something unique. I didn't really have a dog in the fight, but uh, Kay and I watched some of the series the last several days. Uh, what about, were you pulling for somebody? Uh, I remember the Dodgers back when. Tommy Lasorda was there. You remember him? Man, could he ever get Bulldog in somebody's face. I mean, just right up there at it. Spit flying everywhere. Sort of the entertainment of the game, isn't it? Just hoping that that guy will do that. Well, Sorta is best known for his 20 years as the manager of the L.A. Dodgers. He's a National Hall of Famer, and he tells this story about a young, skinny pitcher who was coming up in the Dodgers minor league system. The youngster was somewhat timid, but he had an extraordinary, powerful, and accurate arm. And so Lasorda convinced that young pitcher that he had the potential to do something really great, maybe even be the greatest ever. So Lasorda says the young man needed to be more fierce and more competitive. He needed to lose that timidity. So Lasorda gave him a nickname that was the exact opposite of this kid's personality. He gave him the nickname Bulldog. 
I don't know about you, but that doesn't look much like a bulldog, does it? Pup, maybe, but he's no bulldog. But over the years, that's exactly what Earl, Earl Horsheiser, I have a hard time with that name, Hershiser became. He became the bulldog on the mound. He tended to make big movements towards the tenacity against his competitors. He, he took over that mound in the majors like few people ever did. And that nickname became a perpetual reminder about what he ought to be and what he longed for and what somebody else believed him to be. That's what Jesus was doing for Peter. Every time Peter heard Simon, he was reminded that he was back into the old ways. That he was having a tendency to trail back in who he used to be. But every time he heard Jesus call him Cephas, or the Greek version Peter, it was a reminder that he is on a journey. And if he'll keep his eyes focused on Jesus in closeness to him, abide in him, that journey would bring transformation to him. And he would be one who would bring transformation to the world. God has changed him. Now let me make sure you're hearing me. Because God has changed your name too. In fact, what used to be your name was enemy, but now your name is friend. You used to be law, lawless. Now you're righteous. Now God calls you a son or a daughter of his. God once called you sinner, but now in Christ Jesus, by faith, he calls you saint. Now you might say, well, I'm no saint. Well, Hershiser might have said, well, I'm no bulldog. But the more you hear God speak that into you, and the more you step in faith towards that, the more saintly you'll speak, and the more saintly you'll think, and more saintly you'll live. Sainthood is not given to someone after they die, dependent on the life they live and the miracles they perform, sainthood, my friends, is made possible by Jesus Christ who takes away our sin and gives to us His righteousness and thereby we are declared before God to be saints. What are you hearing these days? What's the name that's being called out to you? If Jesus wanted to signal to Simon Peter that he was acting like the old self, he would call him Simon. If he wanted to signal to Simon Peter that he was acting in faith, in this journey of faith, then he would call out to him, calling him Cephas or Peter. What are you hearing? Are you hearing the right name? Are you looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith? Or are you looking to the sides with distraction and influence and influencers? What are you focusing on? What's the message that's dwelling in you these days? Jesus was not calling Peter to just have a different view and a different way of hearing. He was calling him to be different altogether, providing him for a different life with a powerful, transformed life. That's what he's calling us to. This is not a message about, oh, you've got to hear things differently or you've got to see things differently. This is a message that's completely different. This is a message that is meant to speak power and authority into your life, the workings of the Holy Spirit in your life. So it's the transformation that we're after, the transformation of Christ in us, being made a new creation. And when we're made a new creation, we have a new vision. 
Here's the new creation statement of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So that's what Jesus was doing on the shoreline with Peter and the others. He was helping them to see the transformation. The new has come. The old you is not connected anymore. The new you is before me. And the new you is to make a great, powerful impact in the world. So what are you hearing? What do you know about who you are in Christ? And what is that view? What is that message that you're hearing? So our lives are not just transformed by viewing things differently. Our lives are transformed by being made new in the power of God. Now that power of God is a moving power that is a transforming power. And he willfully shares that with anyone who he pleases. What about you? He did that for Peter, and he provides that for all of us. In fact, after his interaction with Peter, he told the disciples these words. In fact, when you turn out of John 21, the next chapters you turn to is this chapter out of Acts. He says to them, stay a while. Don't go off on your mission yet. Stay a while with them and order them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So last week I shared with you about the power of one being restored and many were touched by God's words in that message, trusting that God was doing a restoring work in their own lives. Some of you reclaim the work of God in your life and I think that's a, a movement of faith of you. You really reclaim this idea that you could have a significant impact on the world. But maybe you stumbled around a little bit. I want you to keep pressing in and I want you to Keep seeking, and I want you, as Jesus would say, keep knocking that that restoration might be full in you and your journey might be complete. But I want you to do it not in your own resolve. I want you to do it in the power and the will of God by His Spirit. And that takes it to a whole other level. God wants you to be empowered to bring change to the world. He doesn't just want your vision to be different. He doesn't just want you to have a vision. He wants you to have the vision to be empowered by His Spirit. And you'll need great power of God from heaven in order to accomplish what God has set out for you and me to accomplish. It was true of Peter and it's true of the disciples. Which is why He ordered them not to leave Jerusalem until the power of God came upon them. And the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. And He empowered them and all those followers who were around them with great power to do great work for the kingdom. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit made Peter to be absolutely radically different. I, I want you to get this. Sitting on the shore under the power of restoration did not make it so that Peter could be a, a great preacher. It did not make it so that Peter could be a great leader in the church. That vision was a transformation for him personally, but God wants to use him and us to transform the world. And that requires more than just transformation. That requires empowerment. I'm, I'm hoping this message is going to be clear to you. That if you are transformed by the work of Jesus Christ, that's powerful for you. 
But if you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring that transformation to others, that is the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's calling for us to be part of. So he says, wait. And when the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and, and they were empowered by the Spirit, all of a sudden you see Peter start unfolding and unleashing with great power that it's within him. So in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost when all this was going on and there were people who were confused around them and the gathering of the crowd came in, Peter took the opportunity to begin to speak and he spoke to thousands on that day. And 3,000 of them came to personal faith and understanding of who Jesus Christ is as the Messiah, the Son of God. 3,000 people. That's a pretty good way to launch a church, isn't it? With 3,000 new followers of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 3, Peter is going to the temple about 3 in the afternoon, as was the custom because that was the hour of prayer. And there's a mass of people around there. But Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, doesn't just see the mass of people. He sees one that everybody else is looking past. He sees a crippled man who is at the gate called Beautiful. And by the power of the Spirit, he is inclined with compassion to go to him. And of course, he's asking for money. That's what a crippled man does. It's the reason why he's there at the gate, beautiful, trying to get the crowds as they're going in. Maybe they've got some compassion of God in them as they're on their way to the, to the hour of prayer. And Peter says to him, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you. Why don't you get up and walk? That's power. That's power of the Holy Spirit. That didn't happen because Peter began to see himself transformed on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. That didn't happen because Jesus inclined him to go feed sheep and tend to the sheep. That came by the power of the Holy Spirit. You might have the right vision. You might have the right understanding of God's transforming work in you. And you might even have the call of God to do great significant things. But if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, you are doing it without the significance of God. But if you have the power of the Holy Spirit amazing, amazing kingdom of heaven things transpire. And that's what he's calling us to have. The crowd gathered around Peter and John as they were mystified by this miracle of healing this man. So Peter took the opportunity to begin to speak to the crowd. The Sadducees weren't very happy about that. They were the leaders of the day. They were the ones that were in charge of teaching the crowds. But now you've got these two uneducated men it's obvious that they're uneducated, but also obvious that they have been with Jesus. And they inquire of them, by what name are you doing these things? And Peter steps forward and begins to boldly proclaim that next morning exactly about the name that they proclaim. It's a name above all other names. It's the name that can bring salvation to souls. It's the name that can transform people out of darkness and into light. It's the name by which Peter was filled by the Spirit. He began to preach them saying that there is no salvation in anyone else for there's no other name by which men must be saved. Leadership really didn't like all that so they decide to put them in jail over the night. The next morning they chasten them, tell them not to speak in this name again. But, of course, Peter and John leave out of that place praying for great boldness and power that they would do just that. God continued to develop him. And all the apostles performed great miracles and signs and wonders. However, Peter was unique. Peter was unique because he had submitted himself uniquely to God. And people even carried their sick out into the streets just hoping that Peter's shadow would cast over them and heal them. He said, well, Peter's different. Okay, Peter 
is the one who had helped establish the church. He's part of the foundational leaders of the church. I get that. But do you think that God doesn't want to bring the kingdom of heaven to the 21st century any more than he did the first century? Do you think that God doesn't want his name to be greatly known and his son greatly glorified as we speak and do things in the power of his name? Sure he does. So there's many of us in this room who are transformed by Jesus. Many of us have a fresh vision about what Jesus is inclining our heart and our lives to be. But I'm saying go a step further and ask that same Jesus to fill you with his spirit. Now if you're saved, you have the indwelling spirit. But I'm saying be filled with the spirit, with his power. Be filled with his holiness. Be filled with his word. Be filled with him. This is the foundational point, I think, in Acts 1, 4, and 5. Stay here. Don't depart Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That, that's an important section of Scripture. What Jesus is saying there, as important as the Holy Spirit was in the life of Christ, in the ministry of Christ, on that day that he was baptized and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove, as important as the Holy Spirit was to Jesus Christ, so the importance of the Holy Spirit will be for us, the church. Jesus would not be able to accomplish what he accomplished without the Spirit of God. He would not have heard and proclaimed the words that he heard and proclaimed if it were not for the Spirit of God. He would not do the miracles except that the Spirit of God gave him the power to do the miracles. He would not go where he went except that the Spirit of God moved him to go where he went. And the church needs to understand. Jesus is saying, your indwelling Spirit is like that. Stop doing things without my Spirit. Stop preaching without my spirit. Stop trying to make an influence in the world around you without my spirit. Stop praying without the spirit. As Jesus could not minister without the spirit, neither can we. So the church in America, the church in Gadsden, the church of Meadowbrook Baptist Church needs to be given to the spirit. Oh, are you praying that God would fill you with the spirit? I'll just tell you. He will rock your world. He will change things dra dramatically. I know that that's a little nerve-wracking for some of you, and you just say, can I not just play it safe? Can I not just have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the Spirit and a little bit of this world and a little bit of that pleasure? Can I not just do that? Well, only if you don't want to be joyful, only if you don't want to be blessed, and only if you don't want to make an impact. But for the one who is given to the Spirit of God, and wants life to be completely submitted to him and empowered by him, that person says, I'm not distracted by this influence of the world. I don't hear the calls from the apartments down the street. My eyes, is, my eyes are on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. I want to be filled with the Spirit, and I want this journey to be complete so that when I get to him, he says, well done, well done. The ministry of Jesus Christ would not take place without the Holy Spirit. Ian e. Bounds, one of the great writers about prayer and the Holy Spirit, says, the Holy Spirit has the regal authority to do royal work. Intellect cannot execute it, neither can learning, nor eloquence, nor truth, not even the revealed truth that can execute the gospel. What he's saying there is the Holy Spirit is the one who executes the gospel and the power thereof. The New Testament is our witness 
And there has been 20 centuries of people communicating the gospel since that the gospel is powerful, not with crafty words that are framed, not with eloquent, eloquent words that are written or phrases that are spoken, not intellectually argued. The gospel is presented in power with the Holy Spirit. And I pray that I wouldn't have the words of orators, but I would have words of the Holy Spirit. Pray that you wouldn't have influence as one who is religion, but one who is given to the Holy Spirit. Let that gospel message be spoken by man or woman whose tongue has been touched with the coal of the altar of heaven, and that powerful word will bring transformation. The Holy Spirit convicts deaf ears suddenly open. And when the Holy Spirit illumines truth, eyes dull suddenly see. The early followers of Jesus understood this. So in the preparation for his ascension to heaven, Jesus instructed them, you go to Jerusalem and you wait. Don't do anything until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. Now we understand. Jesus and Peter, in this very intimate dialogue on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, restoring, bringing hope, bring vision, bring purpose. Peter, no doubt, receiving that and saying, I'll do it, Lord, I'll do it. And Jesus says, oh, Go back 85 miles south and west and wait. And while they wait, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of promise comes. And man, were they empowered. And Peter's life in ministry, as one who's restored, now begins to unfold with great ministry. Okay, where are you? It might be that you're on the shore right now with Jesus and he's calling you to be restored, calling you to himself, helping you to see differently, giving you a fresh vision about who he is and who you are and what you're called to do. And now he's saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive him. Receive him in faith. Say, I do, Lord. I, I receive the Holy Spirit in faith. Now he's saying, be filled with him. Daily. Choose not your strength, but his. Choose not your words, but his. Choose not your way, but his. Be given to him. Let him manage your life. Be submissive to him. And you say, I'll do it, Lord. I know it's going to be costly. I know I won't fit into this world, but I'll do it, Lord, because I want to make the impact of heaven here on earth. I'll do it, Lord. And let it be done. Here's what I'll ask of us. Just a few things. Number one, be restored and commissioned in the name of Jesus Christ. Number two, keep your focus on Him in this daily journey. Don't focus on the external, what's on the sides, the world, its influence and its influencers. 
Don't listen to their heckles. Don't listen to their discouragement. Don't listen to their lies. Don't listen to their temptation. Keep your eyes and your ears focused on Jesus. He's there. He's at the end of this journey. And when you cross that line, he will be there waiting for you with open arms. Don't be distracted. Recognize that you are going to make a great impact because God has determined you to make a great impact, but that impact is only possible with the empowering of the Holy Spirit of God. So don't do this in your own way. Don't try to do ministry in your own way. Don't make impact in your school or your workplace in your own way. Submit your life to the Spirit of God and pray, pray, pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your pastor and this entire church. God in the end may his son in the end and may his spirit be glorified help us God please to surrender all things to you to have our eyes set on you and only you for the one who's been distracted May the attention be on Jesus. He's calling out to them, calling them by name. And may they begin to walk this journey with him. Oh, God, I know the voices around us won't be muted, but your voice can be louder. So may in our heart, may our mind, the words and the songs of Jesus reign. With intentionality, may we pursue him, rising up in the morning with his word, going down to bed at night with his word. And every moment in between, seeking after him, the author and the finisher of our faith. And God, for this great call that you have given to each of us uniquely, we ask that you would empower it by your spirit, that you'd find us given to you, submissive to you, controlled by you. We yield all things to you. We ask for an outpouring of your spirit today that you would fill us I pray, Lord, for the one who's been so desperate that today hope is restored. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for how you've taught us today. Now, complete your work, I pray, for the glory of Jesus and the love of the Father. We pray this in Jesus' name.